You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, the grain offering. This short chapter describes the grain offering, which is voluntary, and represents thanksgiving to God and an acknowledgement that their daily bread came from his hand. It was offered along with the burnt offering and drink offering. It was sometimes called the meat offering because anything that could be eaten was referred to as meat. It could be offered uncooked as fine flour mixed with oil and frankincense placed on it. Anointing with oil set it apart as a memorial to God. Frankincense has a pungent balsamic odor and it is used as incense in the tabernacle. The description of the flower as fine was similar to the requirement that animals must be unblemished. It could also be cooked in an open or covered pan or presented as roasted grain. Only a handful would be burned as a representative portion and the rest would be given to support the priests. This was a practical way of supporting them. This was the only non-animal sacrifice. It was acceptable, but not for making atonement. Blood is required to make atonement for sin. Leviticus 17.11 Leviticus chapter 6 describes the priest's instructions in regards to the grain offering. This offering, along with the sin offering and trespass offering, are called most holy, because unlike the burnt offering, which is for God alone, or the peace offering, which is partially eaten by the worshipper, this was reserved for the priests. It is also described as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then a reminder, if they don't already know, the grain offering brought to the Lord must be made without leaven or yeast. They also could not add honey. Both yeast and honey could begin fermentation. They would also bring the first fruits of their crops, but while they were offered to the Lord, they were not burned on the altar. First fruits were offered at the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Weeks. With all the grain offerings, they were to include salt, here called the salt of the covenant. Salt represented permanence and loyalty to the covenant. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of the gospel or Jesus Christ do we find in this chapter? Bringing grain as an offering was not to feed God as pagans leave food for their idols, but to represent thankfulness to God for his provision. In Psalm 50, 9-12, God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. In the New Covenant, we also give offerings to God because we acknowledge His providence and are thankful to Him for our daily bread. The offering was only a small portion of their sustenance, a handful. Do we begrudge supporting pastors and missionaries with the things God has blessed us with? It was to be fine flour, the best. Whatever we offer to God must be our best. This sacrifice without blood was never offered on its own, but always accompanied a blood sacrifice, because it is blood that makes atonement for sin. To offer it alone would be to repeat Cain's sin of assuming that the works of his hands would be acceptable on their own merit. It was offered with oil and incense, which represented joy and prayer. We should give cheerfully and present our thanks to God in prayer. 
and all our offerings are acceptable because of Christ. Yeast represented the pervasive and subversive nature of sin and therefore was not allowed in God's presence. This began at the Passover. Jesus' character and offering of his life were completely without sin. Overall, there is something of Christ's life, character and work in all the Old Testament sacrifices in that they were insufficient in themselves to take care of the sin problem permanently, but he is the fulfillment of those types and shadows. Since he gave himself willingly and completely, we should also present our bodies as living sacrifices. They were supposed to add salt to all their grain offerings. Salt is a preservative and represented permanence and faithfulness to the covenant. It is also a flavor enhancer. Jesus referred to believers as the salt of the earth and said we were only useful if we retained our saltiness. Pure salt doesn't lose its saltiness, but some salts in the Dead Sea area were contaminated by gypsum or other materials so that they would leave a flat taste. Then all they were good for was keeping footpaths between garden beds full, free of weeds, or as Jesus said, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt was an essential item for preserving food in the days before refrigeration. Jesus said, salt is good. He also said, everyone will be seasoned with fire, probably relating to the purifying quality of persecution and trials, and reminding them that every sacrifice was seasoned with salt, recalling these offerings. He also told them to have salt in yourself and have peace with one another. God's word works in believers to produce godly character, which then has a preserving quality on society. Paul also tells the Colossians to let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. This carries the idea that our speech should have a purifying rather than a decaying influence. James also uses the image of salt in relation to speech when he says that like a spring doesn't produce fresh and salt water, neither should we use our tongues to, to both bless God and curse men who are made in God's image. You've been listening to the Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Leviticus chapter 3. May God bless the study of his word.